Welcome to the Moving Markets podcast on Thursday, the 2nd of November, with me, Bernadette Anderko. Today, my colleague Alexander Peterson is going to deliver the markets news to us. And then our head of macro and next generation research, Norbert Rucker, joins the show to update us on the energy sector. Finally, Nicola Jordan is here from the CIO office to give us the weekly update on our investment committee's current thinking. So let's crack on with the show now with the roundup of the markets news. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Bernadette. So Alex, yesterday the Federal Reserve left interest rates unchanged and indicated that the tightening cycle might now be over. What can you tell us? The Federal Open Market Committee left its benchmark interest rate unchanged at a range of 525 to 5.5% on Wednesday. Officials signaled in a post-meeting statement that a recent rise in longer-term Treasury yields was reducing the need for another hike, although they left the door open to another increase. And how have the bond and equity markets in the US uh, reacted to this? The decision was welcomed by markets, with the S&P 500 index closing more than 1% higher on the day and the 10-year U.S. Treasury rallying to see its yield decline below 4.75%. Futures were pricing in a roughly 1 in 4 chance of another rate hike by January. Okay, so from one central bank decision to another, today the Bank of England is going to be announcing its rate decision. What are the markets expecting there? The Bank of England is expected to keep interest rates at their highest level since 2008, despite mounting evidence of weakening UK economy, labour market and inflation. Economists and investors are expecting the Monetary Policy Committee to keep the key interest rate at 5.25%, with the focus on the BOE's new forecasts. The BOE's decision is due at 12pm London time, followed by a press conference led by the bank's governor, Andrew Bailey. The BOE also stepped up the pace of its balance sheet unwinding amid concerns about its impact amid volatility in global bond markets. Right, let's turn our attention to Asia now. And I see that Japan has announced a bigger than expected stimulus package to boost growth and help households. Can you give us some more details there, Alex? Yes, for sure. Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida has announced an economic stimulus package with more than 17 trillion yen, that's roughly 7.1 billion US dollars, to boost growth and help households hit by inflation. The package includes income and residential tax rebates worth 3.5 trillion yen and more than 1 trillion yen in aid for low-income households. The larger-than-expected package is Kishida's attempt to appease voters critical of his handling of inflation. However, the package may have little impact on voters' opinion of Kishida and the shift to stronger growth is key to the fiscal health of the heavily indebted nation. Okay, following on from that then, um, how are Asian markets looking this morning? The Asia-Pacific markets are trailing mostly up, reacting positively to the Fed's decision to leave rates unchanged. However, the Chinese CSI 300 is trading slightly in the red. The Japanese Nikkei 225 trades up with a plus of 1.17%. India's stock market is trading also a little up, while Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index is up almost 1%. Okay, and uh, lastly, Alex, uh, what's coming up today? What should investors be looking out for? Looking ahead to the rest of the day, investors will be paying attention to the global manufacturing PMIs and the Swiss inflation. There is also several central banks reporting today, including the Bank of England, as well as the central banks of Norway and the Czech Republic. In addition to this, the earnings season is well underway with Apple, Novo Nordisk, Eli Lilly, Shopify and Ferrari among those reporting today. And that's pretty much all for today's wrap up. Thank you very much, Alex. 
So now it's time to welcome uh, Norbert Rooker to the show. Good morning, Norbert. Good morning. Uh, before we get on to energy today, Norbert, perhaps I could just ask you uh, what we make of the Fed's decision to leave rates unchanged yesterday and perhaps more importantly, Jerome Powell's comments following the decision. It feels like the Fed's tightening phase is over now, right? Yes, it definitely feels like it. And uh, I think the Fed clearly avoided to give a clear signal if the rate cycle is completed or not yet. So there's still some uncertainty around current rate levels if they are restrictive enough given the situation in the economy. Um, on the one hand, if you look at the economy, it's robust, the labor market is still tight. And on the other hand, we have higher bond yields, we have low equity markets. So financial conditions have tightened to some extent. Overall, our view is unchanged. We see unchanged rates until next year, well, until September next year, basically. Okay, thank you for that. Um, so geopolitics certainly remain top of mind currently with the conflict in Israel ongoing. I see oil prices are back down to 85 US dollars. So what's the reason for this? Yeah, that's quite interesting if you look at the, the oil market, especially oil prices. So basically, they are back to the levels where they were before the conflict erupted uh, more than three weeks ago. So the market seems to be less worried about an escalation of the conflict, especially less worried about an escalation that would uh, kind of harm or potentially disrupt oil supplies coming from the region. Uh, while this might seem a bit at odds with um, the developments on the ground that we have the next phase that we have now troop, Israeli troops in the Gaza Strip, it actually rather follows the usual playbook of geopolitics and commodity markets. And I think exactly it's that playbook that should prevail. So basically that we've seen another of those geopolitical shocks that create some uncertainty in the market, where especially if it happens in the Middle East, the oil market sticks out. But usually these shocks remain temporary, that the uncertainty premium that temporarily inflates prices, deflates over a time frame of weeks. So basically more or less just what you're seeing evolving now. So from a commodity market perspective, from a global economy perspective, we are less worried that this uh, geopolitics turns into something very harmful that could derail the cycle. Okay, so then on that basis, uh, where do we see prices heading next year? Well, the market so far has been quite sentiment driven. So it's really the bullishness that drove up prices since early summer and now, especially over the past weeks, we did concerns about uh, the geopolitics. And we believe that going forward, the, the market should rather move back to focusing more on the fundamentals. Um, the overall question, this prevailing narrative of tight supplies, because we just don't see it confirmed by the data. If you look at North America, if you look at the United States, storage is well within the seasonal norm. If you look at China, crude oil storage seems to be having expanded, seems well above the norm. And also, if you look forward, we believe that this gap between demand and supply, that we had slightly more demand than supply, that this gap basically closes, if not reverses, because some of the cuts, and remember, the patronations are still quite restrictive in terms of how much oil they put on the market. Some of these cuts are really compensated by incremental growth elsewhere. And also, if you look at the consumption side, um, demand stagnates because for cyclical reasons, because basically the US labor market is maxed out, there's not much more commute that you can do, but also for structural reasons, because of increasing fuel efficiency coming from the shift to hybrids, the shift to EVs. So overall, um, we believe that oil prices remain detached somewhat from soft fundamentals. We stick to a cautious view and we see prices rather heading into the high 70s next year. Okay. Um, now, I know from the amount of clothes I'm having to pile on in the morning that winter's arrived now in Europe. Do we need to be worried again about uh, natural gas supplies? 
Yeah, that's a good point. I think also this morning was the first time I got with a, took a head to get to the office. Well, overall, we are very well prepared. Uh, gas storage is full. Hydro reservoirs in the Nordics and the Arabs are full. LNG is broadly available on the global market and helps to fully compensate Russia's, Russia's outage. And if you look at it more globally, also there seems to be less competition for these LNG supplies. Because if you look at Asia, they uh, ramped up coal supplies, they invested heavily in renewables. So overall, there seems to be less need for Europe to really overpay to get the energy they need. So we stick to our bearish view. Um, we think that um, natural gas prices sh should come down um, because of these reasons. Um, and this should probably very happen in the next uh, weeks in the very near term. That's it from our side. Thanks so much for that uh, energy roundup, Norbert. It's always good to have you on the show. Well, now it's time to find out what the Investment Committee is making of uh, the markets. Good morning, Nicola. Good morning, Bernadette. So um, I see that the equity market correction has continued now with the S&P 500 having fallen by almost 10% since its highs in July. What's your assessment of the current situation? Well, such a correction is obviously never enjoyable for investors when it happens. But I think it is important to take a step back and see it in a historical perspective. Since 1980s, the maximum pullback in every given year was 14.2% on average, which means that the current correction of around 10% is very normal and nothing to worry about per se. Additionally, it is important to keep in mind that the S&P 500 is still up by 10% since the beginning of the year, something that barely any market observant expected 12 months ago. However, we are obviously also concerned that we may have a blind spot in our field of vision and that the market could suddenly drop even further due to unforeseen developments. But for now, we remain bullish going into the year end and do not see anything that would justify de-risking our multi-asset portfolios at this point in time. Okay, so then uh, what makes you confident that your current asset allocation is, is well constructed despite this uh, uncertain environment? Well, the beauty of a multi-asset portfolio is that you can diversify your bets, as the different asset classes making up the portfolio should profit in different scenarios. What do I mean by that? If we look at the classic 60-40 split, where 60% is allocated to equities and 40% to bonds, investors are able to enhance the risk-return relationship as equities and bonds do not always move in sync. In fact, the US stock bond correlation has consistently been negative over the past two decades, with the exception of last year, when both long-term bonds and equities fell in unison as the Fed raised its policy rate to fight inflation. This turning point then sparked fears that this classic multi-asset mix might lose its validity. But the situation today is substantially different than last year. Let's quickly look at two different scenarios to illustrate this. In the case of an economic contraction, there is likely to be a flight to safety and long-term bonds should perform well compared to risky assets. In addition, the Fed, with its current policy rate level above 5%, is in a comfortable situation to support the economy with rate cuts, which would further benefit those who hold long-duration instruments, including US Treasuries. On the other hand, if the US economy remains resilient and inflation continues to fade, equities should benefit, increasing portfolio performance without bonds providing a major drag. This remains our base case scenario, by the way. Okay, so then uh, looking a bit closer at your equity allocation, then what kind of stocks do you favour in your portfolios now? 
at the moment, we maintain our bias towards quality growth, large cap stocks, since we believe that the higher for longer interest rate scenario will not materially impact this group, as it consists of companies with strong balance sheets and rich cash balances that provide additional income. With this, we should be well positioned to profit from a potential year-end rally, while at the same time limiting our downside risk. That's all from my side. Back to you, Bernadette. Thanks very much for being on the show today, Nicola, and for keeping us informed. Thank you. That's it for today's podcast. I'd like to thank my guests for contributing and you for listening. Don't forget to join me again tomorrow when I'll be back with more of our experts to guide you through what's moving markets. Good luck today and goodbye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Für unsere deutschsprachigen Zuhörer, we would also like to make you aware of Marktanalysen und Gespräche, a monthly podcast in German, where Julius Baer experts discuss some of the latest market developments. We share our key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape in German. Search for Marktanalysen und Gespräche on your favorite podcast player.